You're listening to a podcast providing education on how you can spot, report, and prevent trafficking. Through survivor-informed content, our team of survivors, industry experts, and community leaders are committed to increase survivor identification beyond 1% as the first step to ending child sex trafficking in America by 2030. Join us for real facts, real stories, and real ways. You can be on watch with us. Hello, my name is Brittany Dunn, and I am joined by my co-host, Christy Wells, CEO of Safe House Project. Thanks for having me here today, and I am so excited to have our friend, who is Christian hip-hop artist, incredible leader, incredible speaker into the race relations issues, who is just phenomenal in leading the way and showing that you can use your voice to create change. Legend was part of the foundation of Safe House Project, but has gone on to really inspire communities to affect real change in so many issues. So Legend, thanks for joining us today. Well, as we get started, would you mind just sharing a little bit about how COVID has impacted you and your family? Share where you're at and just be real with that. Um, Tell us what's going on. I mean, my, you know, so COVID wiped my whole calendar. We were on a family cruise and we had just gotten off the cruise when stuff so it was blowing up. We got off the cruise and got to the hotel. And the first the first thing I cut the news on was president at Woolworth Carnival. And they were shutting that. So we got off and we got off the plane. We got off the cruise ship. And like the next couple of days, they started shutting down all the cruise ships. People were stuck at sea. We made it back by like a week. You know, it's crazy. Then my whole travel schedule got wiped and I wasn't able to perform or speak or travel. I had stuff I had to clear off my calendar. Um, so that's the downside. But the, the plus side is I wasn't traveling. I was spending time with my wife and my kids. And, you know, surprise, we like each other. So that was pleasant. And uh, we had a really... <laughs> <laughs> people like help i'm home with my family i was like oh that's, that's sad bro we had a really good time we love each other and i mean and for all intents and purposes man there's been a lot of hardship through covid but like you know god's been really faithful we've, we've been able to just enjoy each other find ways around it and still be creative and have impact digitally like this so it's been fun i know one of my favorite moments that i have seen you during covid was the day that we got to do the prayer march through uh, Norfolk, Virginia, and mm-hmm. the HR City Collective just come together and really represent. That was fun. But you have just been a leader during this season when there are so many social justice issues that are coming to the surface. And we would love to just hear from you a little bit about what you have been experiencing, where you have been feeling that pull, and where you think we have opportunities to really grow as a nation. Yeah, I think I think if we stop putting stuff in boxes about what is what we is good and what isn't good, what we can't touch, what we can't touch. Like a, a majority of the things we want to correct in society are social justice issues. We've just defined them as certain things that are touchable or untouchable based on our tribes or political parties. Like if we want to address the abortion issue, if you see that as an issue, that's a social justice issue. If you want to address poverty, that's a social justice, just society. You want to address racial inequities if they do exist. I believe they do. That's a social justice. All these things are social justice issues. We're talking about saving kids from predators who want to take advantage. That's social justice. But for some reason, we've allowed issues to be politicized. And it's like, oh, that's a social justice issue. That's bad. We can't talk about that. Or that isn't a social justice issue. That's good. We can deal with that. And I just think those divisions don't exist. We have to stop treating people as and in, in issues as boxed positions that we can or can't touch and just say, man, look, if there's an issue, let's talk about it. And let's figure it out and not not overly politicize things for the purpose of party or agenda. I think that keeps us split. So the opportunity 
is to recognize we agree a lot more on these things than we think we do uh, or than we're told we do or even that we believe we do. And just and just shut up and get together and, and work together and lock arms and realize everybody needs each other. I mean, we so often see trafficking put into its own bucket that is separate than race relations, that is separate than homelessness, which is separate from a variety of other issues that are facing our nation. And when we don't take a kind of that 30,000 foot view and see where there's intersection points amongst all these different challenges that we're facing, it makes it hard to see where we have opportunities for growth. So what are you seeing? Yeah work with vulnerable youth. You are on, you know, through your music and through your ministry, you are consistently out there speaking life into kids and really trying to be a role model for them. What are some of those trends that you're seeing that you really think are affecting our kids today? Well, I, I think, man, like when you even have the, the image of vulnerable youth, right? Uh, it, it just depends on what you, what you imagine when you say that, whether you're talking about minority kids, whether you're talking about kids that are below the poverty line, or whether you're just talking about a kid that's unprotected, you know, they're vulnerable youth in upper class homes that aren't being watched and that are getting trafficked and that are getting taken advantage of. And sometimes there's less sympathy for that because they come from a place of more material possession, which doesn't has nothing to do with their identity and their protection. And then when you think about uh, kids that don't come from that, there's a level of sympathy or a level of those kids over there. And it's, it's too, you know, so I think I think it's the same thing. We have to stop putting uh, people in these boxes of who we can or can't help and what we can or can't do. When I see kids that are vulnerable, I think that there's 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 a, a negative opportunity for somebody to creep in with influence online in their life to fill a void that they're looking for some affirmation to some identity and makes them vulnerable for some sort of addiction, trafficking or something else. So that presents itself as a great opportunity for, in a positive sense of how can we then find a way to step into somebody's life and be that mentor, be that figure? Because you have a window where, where, where vulnerable kids, no matter what class they're in, if there's such a thing, are looking for, please fill this void. Please speak to me. Please give me something to tell me who I am. Give me some content. And that's an opportunity for people to step into that role, to take a training like on watch. How can I look? You know, my, my niece is showing signs that she's vulnerable. I, I thought that she was healthy. I assume because she's in my family, nothing's wrong, but she's showing, how do I jump into her, her life and be there for her? How do I step to my neighbor across the street? How do I, there's a community down the street that I don't see anybody helping out this impoverished. How do I get into that community and be a part of this, a small bit of change or take some folks with me? Um, how do I not think that the kid whose dad is a CEO is safe and just assume that? How do I, you know, I'm, I'm over their house. How do I make sure that this family, you know, like, so there's opportunities there when you start to understand and recognize signs of what vulnerability actually looks like and not what we've packaged it to be, but that we can step in and be aware and make a change if we can notice it. And that's why I'm grateful for the training. Yeah, that's awesome. I know that when we all began Safe House Project, it was because we saw vulnerable kids overseas that looked a certain yeah. way that we knew were, we knew were vulnerable because they were dual orphans, because they didn't have... Yeah. Uh, a family or that or a home life and so we jumped in to respond to that need but then yeah. when all of us turned our eyes here domestically we realized that that those vulnerabilities while they look different really don't change what those outcomes still have the potential to be for those children and, and leading them into that place of sex trafficking uh, so yeah i know that was an eye-opening experience for us what have been some of the eye-opening experiences for you in as you have grown in understanding what sex trafficking looks like in America. 
I think I think the reason why for a lot of people, you see a lot of buzz around traffic right now, which is good or bad. But I think the reason why it's just getting buzzed now is because there were assumptions that it wasn't a thing here where we're safe. And predators thrive on bad assumptions because they can take advantage of our blind spots. I think the continued awareness of, man, it's, it's, the, it's the kid down the street who I thought was safe. It's the, it's the person that's going to youth group that they're in youth group. So, of course, they're, they don't have any problems. Right. All of those things, they just continue to be eye opening. Right. As you listen to music and as you watch movies, you see the indoctrination of trafficking that's not identified as trafficking, that's accepted as a social norm and is conditioning culture to continue to accept things that result in trafficking. You know, I was I said, you know, we made it. We made the Safe House album. And one of my favorite songs on that is Roots, where I was talking about, you know, how we go to movies and we'll, we'll say we'll say child pornography is bad, but we'll literally go to the movies and watch teenagers sleep together on the screen in the movie. And don't, don't even bat our eye that that's trafficking. Somebody's making money off of portraying this. That's not okay, right? Our music is saying things that is not okay. And, you know, we accept it because we've just come to accept it. So for me, it's just the, as the, as the filters dropped, it was how desensitized we are as a culture to the things that result in trafficking. And for our, our concern of choice and freedom and stuff like that is... Well, no, no, you're just taking it overboard. I'm like, I'm not taking it overboard. Look at the numbers. You know what I'm saying? Something's wrong, and we're allowing it to keep being wrong, and we got to stop. So for me, it's just it's just realizing how indoctrinated we are with being okay with the things that lead to trafficking and keep kids vulnerable and keep a predatory business thriving. And we've got it. We've got it at a certain point. Draw a line in the sand and say, I don't care what this costs. This is not okay. Uh, I'm not supporting movies or music like this. I'm not allowing that talk. I'm not, no, I'm not laughing at that joke. Small, small things that, that change our sensitivity. So we begin to recognize things we never saw before and that will end up protecting kids that we never would have noticed. Yeah, that's amazing. And I think you hit on a really important point that while there's also this cultural influences that can normalize so many of the behaviors that can lead to trafficking, talk about what the flip side of that is and the, the ability that culture has to influence this issue from a positive stance. Cause I know that's so much of what you have done as an artist is to work to influence culture through music. Talk to me about the, the responsibility that is on those cultural influencers to actually affect a positive change. Yeah. I mean, so for me, it's life imitate art, art, art imitates life, all those things, right. That's that cycle. When you see, whenever you see a cause that catches wind, whether it's a cause you agree with politically, whether it's good or bad, uh, something can catch wind if it connects with people. So culture has the, no, nobody in their right mind wants to see kids taken advantage of, even if they're a part of some things that can result in that and they don't realize it. If somebody realizes that, they don't want to do it. And now you can, now a whole movement can begin of, hey, this is what trafficking actually looks like. When we do this, it connects and results in this. And, and people have to come, they have to come to the end of themselves and say, man, I've got to decide, am I going to be a part of this potential issue anymore that's making kids vulnerable? And culture, and once culture gets a grip on that, politicians, corporations, artists, influencers can all r- begin to ride a wave of, we need to be against these things that result in this. And once everybody begins to realize it and wake up to it, man, I mean, you just have a wave of people who want to fight against something. And, and it can just, there's just, it just has to be awareness. Once awareness is there, people actually, they want to be a part of something good, whether it's theological or not, they want to be a part of something good. 
Most people don't know. If people don't know they're not a part of something good, and you give them something good and say, hey, just by doing this, you can save a kid's life. There's nobody in the world in their right mind who's not going to want to be a part of that. And now you've got corporations that want to get the message out and airlines and artists who want to get behind it and politicians who want to be a part of it on all sides of the aisle. So I just feel like the education is key and it's, and it's going to bring a wave of people that are pushing back. I think the other, yeah, that's great. I think the other thing that you mentioned that I really want to hit on is the responsibility as us as parents to steward our kids. And so much of that is the jokes that we tell or what we laugh at. And that, you know, I saw something the other day that said, even though it doesn't feel like your children listen to you most of the time, you're still going to be the one that they imitate. And so how yeah. do we refocus ourselves in this season in your mind to really focus on things that are life-giving, not just for us, but for our kids or the kids that we have the uh, ability to influence? Sure. So I'm really, I'm really tight on what my kids watch and listen to. Like, I just, I don't care if everybody watches it. I'm not their parent. Like, I care about what you, that, that, you know, my kids know. If there's something where I don't know the worldview behind the movie or where the content's leading, we have to watch it together or you can't watch it without me. I don't know what they're going to slip in there. I don't care if it's animated. I'm just that type of parent. So, and I'm sure I, I haven't filtered everything, but I'm at least, I'm 98% dogmatic with it, right? I'm very cautious about that. I heard something from an apologist I listened to named Abdul Murray the other day, which I really liked. Because I like looking at, we were talking about movies earlier. This is Back to the Future. So like, I like how um, all movies have a worldview and you can make points out of movies. Dark Knight Trilogy is like one of the best things ever. How do you sit down and watch something with your kids and dissect things? Abdu has this game he plays with his kids. I just, I started doing the other day. He'll, he'll pause the movie and he said, all right, where's the truth and where's the lie? And what they just did, where's the truth and where's the lie? And the kids will say, well, you know, it's true that everybody needs to be, you know, taken care of. It's a lie that that person shouldn't isn't isn't good enough to be taken care of. He's like, exactly. And he'll play and keep going through the movie. So he pauses it and makes points with the movie. And I think that's a really cool game just to just to do like stop. Stop the show. Where's the truth? Where's the lie? What just happened? That's something I think we can do as parents. And, and then just and not not just give these screens autonomous power over our children. Like I, I encourage everybody watch the Social Dilemma documentary. I thought it was amazing. She kind of asked me the other day, Daddy, when, when am I going to get social media? I was like, you don't want to know my answer right now. Because <laughs> that's funny. Like, if I had my way, it would be 16. And I'm like, you might be driving by the time you're allowed near Instagram. So, <laughs> I mean, I'm not anti that. So I think it's just being realizing during the COVID season, these screens are more influential than they ever have been. The rise of depression and suicide rates are up. The, the rise of evaluating your image based on somebody's filtered picture is up and don't let that have autonomous rule over your kids brains because what they say is easier to to uh build strong children than to repair broken adults so we just got to be mindful that it, there's no truer word i mean obviously we work with a lot of people who have been victims of abuse that they never asked to endure but they walk really yeah. journeys and so whatever we can do to prevent uh, mm -hmm. it at our house or in our homes or in our community that's the key to eradication is prevention. And it is powerful. Like technology is a tool that can be used for good or evil. And so yeah. how do we teach our kids where are the safe lines in there. And I love that idea of if we're going to sit down and watch a film that maybe hasn't been screened yet or something and we're watching it together, using that as a learning point, because it's not also putting our kids into an isolated bubble where they're not aware of what is happening in the world and what could come against them. 
it's dialoguing with them and almost playing it out in these scenarios of what is the truth there? Where do you have the opportunity to stand up for yourself or another child or another individual that you might come in contact with as you go through your life? And how do we make people, we equip them with a strong sense of self to go out and be world changers and to influence other people and to steward light and hope into really dark places. Yeah, absolutely. It's awesome. Well, Legend, thank you for being a light in the darkness. Thank you for um, speaking truth in the hard issues and um, never backing away from that fight. I, I love that you always have the courage to talk about the things that nobody and wrestle through the things that um, a lot of people aren't willing to um, engage on because I think that really has made um, you a leader in a lot of different spaces and you've got a really solid voice of of reason and of looking at an issue from multiple per- perspectives. And so we appreciate you. We appreciate all that you do to be a voice for the vulnerable and, and take action to eradicate some hard issues. So well, I love you guys, man. Thanks for uh, all you do. You guys are superheroes. I tell you that I mean it. I'm privileged to be around and be part of the movement, you know, be on the board. It's just, I, it's a badge of honor. Thanks for letting me be around. Let me leave you with a quote from William Wilberforce who once said, you may choose to look the other way, but you can never say again that you did not know. Each of us has had a defining moment in our life where we're faced with a choice to either engage or look away. We hope you'll subscribe to our podcast for future content about how you can make a difference in ending trafficking. Thank you for listening.